for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, wonderful to be with you again in this capacity. Uh, it was great to participate with you in that uh, word cloud again. Uh, doing those kind of things is good, reminding each other we're, we're in this together. And uh, we are doing this at the one time. So that's a, a wonderful and good thing. We are going to approach God's word again. Uh, it is my privilege and responsibility to to share it with you, and it is a wonderful, wonderful passage, John 3, perhaps one of the most famous of all the Bible. Uh, We're going to explore it together. Before we do, though, uh, let's pray. Our good and gracious God, uh, we thank you so much, as we do every week, for your word, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Uh, Thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to us so that we can know who he is and understand your word. I pray now in this moment for my brothers and sisters across the screen that you help us to engage with what it is that you're going to speak to us through your word. I pray that my words are pleasing to you and are used to build up this church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So recently, Elizabeth and I are doing a little bit of cleaning a couple of weeks ago and sorting. And we came across this book called Magic Eye. We'd done our cleaning so well, I actually forgotten where we put it, but Elizabeth showed me the way. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with these books, but they have these kind of illusions in them. They look a little bit like nothing, really, but you do this kind of special thing where you... I have no idea how to do it, actually. Elizabeth looks at it and can see what's going on. But you'll see, like, there'll be one coming up on the screen, and it's like a... You might see a unicorn or something like that or some kind of image. The idea is that unless you kind of know how to see, you're given 
eyes to see what's going on, um, you, you can't really tell. But there is something there. Now, in the passage tonight with, uh, that we have in John, we meet a person by the name of Nicodemus. Now, he's someone who wants to see the kingdom of God. He wants to see who Jesus really is, uh, but his eyes are veiled. He's come to investigate, but he's kind of a bit like me looking at that, illish, that um, illusion, knowing kind of something's there, but having no idea what it is. In fact, he doesn't even have the eyes to see it. And so we're going to journey through this passage together. And as you know, we are, we're in the Gospel of John, and so far, the, the picture of Jesus is kind of being painted for us. We're told right at the beginning, John chapter 1, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the eternal Word of God become flesh. And we've been seeing people beginning to encounter Jesus. John the Baptist has gone before him and is pointing the way, uh, saying that all of the Scripture is pointing to him. And then Jesus has been calling some disciples, saying, come and see. And then... Last week, Jesus was beginning to reveal his glory. And he did that through that miracle in Cana of Galilee, the water turning into wine. And then he went into the temple in Jerusalem and like caused a bit of a ruckus, really, and was like turning over tables and also was doing some miracles after that. Like People are beginning to be intrigued by who Jesus is. And one such person is Nicodemus. So we've got to ask ourselves, who is, who is this character? Uh, who is Nicodemus? Now, we have a little bit of information, but quite good information, that he's a Pharisee and a leader of the ruling Jewish council. Now, that means that Nicodemus is kind of like in the, the upper echelon, if you like, of Jewish society. And being a, a Pharisee, that means he's super kind of zealous for the law. He's very moral, very upright, very religious uh, in his actions. Now, we know from other parts in the Bible that the Pharisees, amongst their really good intentions, kind of skew it a little bit and become want to be self-righteous, want to earn their favor with God, want to guarantee it by the way that they act. Now we have a little bit of an interesting note about when Nicodemus comes to Jesus because he comes to him at night. Now that's a seemingly kind of inconsequential detail. Like you and I are meeting with Jesus and one another at night. Um, nothing kind of strange going on there. Uh, but it seems as though Nicodemus is doing a bit on the down low. Right? Jesus, just before he's been in the temple, kind of causing a mark. Um, I imagine that some of the Jewish leaders, they're not overly happy with Jesus. But Nicodemus, he wants to investigate. But he, kind of like, he doesn't want to press like on Jesus' post. He doesn't want to become a follower. He's kind of doing like a DM on the down low. He wants to know and investigate who this Jesus is. But there's also a deeper reason going on. It's at night. Now at night, it's dark. Right? Look outside, it's dark. And in the Gospel of John, darkness is particularly symbolic. And it's symbolic of ignorance and a lack of belief in Jesus. To be in the dark means you're not in the light of God. For Nicodemus, he's good and he's upright. But his spiritual darkness was far darker than what he actually knew. However, for being in the dark, he's kind of moving in the right direction. If you have a look with me from verse 2, uh, it's, he approaches Jesus and he says, Rabbi, so he's like very respectful teacher comment. We know that you're a teacher who's come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus, he's certainly kind of a spiritually open person. Uh, he knows that Jesus can bring some light to the situation. 
And in kind of a roundabout way, this statement is kind of an implied question. Jesus, who are you? Tell me who you are. I can see that you're a teacher. Like We can see that you're obviously from God in some capacity. But is there something else going on here? Like, I know the scriptures really, really well. I'm doing the right stuff. Like, who are you amongst all this? I can see something's going on. Jesus' response, verse 3. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus saying, Nicodemus, sure, mate, you can see this outward stuff which is going on. But you have no hope of seeing the kingdom of God. You have no hope of seeing whom I really am unless you're born again. And that's what this passage, um, this conversation, and then the little comment after that from verse 16 is all about. What it means to be born again and then the implications of that. So that's what we're going to explore. We're going to explore this concept together and we're going to investigate what it means to be born again through the lens of, of five questions. Firstly, who is it for? Then who is it from? What does it do? You don't have to keep sliding, Sammy. It's okay. Um, in other words, what's its purpose? Uh, that's, we're up to three now. How does it happen and what is the reality? You've written all them down, right? You with me? <laughs> it's okay. We'll, we'll go through them one at a time. Firstly, who is it for? Who can be born again? Like for a Nicodemus, he thinks that's kind of a bit ridiculous. Of course no one can be born again. Um, you're right on the money there, mate. But Jesus wants to make a point loud and clear to Nicodemus and us that anybody can be born again, it seems. In verse 3, it's said that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Not one person can do that. But then when you look over, and particularly as you get to verses 16 through to 21, if you just gaze your eyes over it, you'll see the word whoever repeated and repeated over and over again. Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever believes is not condemned. Any and every person who believes in Jesus Christ can be born again. For Nicodemus, he's an upright. He's a moral man, full of kind of religious gusto and knowledge, but that's not going to get him there. His good works are going to do nothing for him when it comes to being born again, to seeing the kingdom of God. And by the same way, it also means for the broken, for the messed up, being born again is for them too. For the upright, the broken, the popular, and for the outcast, all people need to be born again. So that's what it's for. Being born again is for is necessary, and it's open for all people who will believe in Jesus. This brings us to our second question. Who is it from? What is it, who, who brings about this business of being born again? Where does it come from? Who's the person who does it? Now, the answer to that question uh, initially comes from uh, the Greek word to be born again. Now, in the Greek, it doesn't actually say born again. It says born from above. So it's that's saying that it's like a spiritual birth. Like you, you're born of the flesh and then born of the spirit, being born from, from above. That means that it's from God. It's a spiritual birth that we're talking about here. Sure, everybody is physically alive, but spiritually dead. They need to be born again, born of the spirit, which is only possible by God. Now, this kind of confuses Nicodemus a little bit. Uh, fair enough. And so Jesus gives a, a bit more explanation. He says from verse 5, Very truly I tell you, 
No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So we're introduced to this idea that being born again also means, it's another way of saying being born of water and the Spirit. Now that phrase in itself has caused a bunch of kind of... uh, debate, let's say, about what it actually means in the theological world. And what does it actually mean? Because it's another way of saying being born again, and we kind of get the spiritual bit that's going on, but what's with the water? There's a few kind of theories. Uh, One theory is about, well, you're physically born, and when you're physically born in, in conception and in birth, there's some water that goes on in that scenario, some fluid, but that's kind of unlikely. Another theory is that Jesus is talking about water baptism, that makes a little bit of sense of what's gone on previously in, in John. But why not just say baptism? Jesus has specifically said water. And there's a, a more compelling and a kind of even better explanation. Because as you listen to what Jesus said right at the end of verse 7, uh, that you should not be surprised at my saying, and then if you have a look at verse 10, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, mate, you're the Old Testament guru. Like, you know all the things of the Old Testament. There's something in there which is pointing to exactly what I'm saying. Look at the themes of of water and spirit. And where those two things collide, of water and spirit most powerfully and most obviously, is in Ezekiel chapter 36. And I'll read for you a a section there. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, 25 to 27. The Lord is speaking a prophecy through Ezekiel and he says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to follow all my laws. Like Jesus saying, hey Nicodemus, you know that, that prophecy in Ezekiel that's talking about renewal. That's talking about the fact you need to be cleansed with water, to be given a new heart so that you can have God's spirit dwell within you and then to have God's spirit dwell within you so you can change, so you can obey God's lords. That's about to happen. That's about to happen because of me. And that's what this new birth is all about. Now, of course, you can't do it yourself. No one can give birth to themselves. It only can come from God. It's a complete act of his love and his grace. And so that's the answer to our second question. Who is it that makes the person born again? It's God. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings new life and causes us to be born again spiritually. So to our third question, what does it do? Cool, it's for us, it's from God, but what's its purpose? Why would that be a good thing or why would it be necessary? What does it actually do? Now right at the outset, to go back to to verse 3, Jesus said you needed it to see. You needed to see the kingdom of God. Now what this means is that it's actually impossible to see who Jesus is. It's impossible to see what the kingdom of God is like and about unless you're born again. Like our physical abilities and capacities that we have and we're blessed with, they are no help when it comes to understanding the spiritual world, what it means to be born again. Come with me on like this kind of little journey. Imagine you're a baby, but a baby in the womb. 
Now imagine you have the, the ability to understand things at that time. You only know in that dark womb. The heartbeat is strong in your senses. The sound of your mother's voice is soothing. But there's not much else. But then imagine others could talk to you. Just imagine you could understand that for a moment. And you'd learn English. And you could hear people talking about colours. And about the taste of chocolate. And the feeling of the wind in your hair. The experiences of love and fear. The ability to learn and understand the sensation of the touch in your hands. The embrace of a hug. Like if you're a baby in your mother's womb, even if the best person possible explained that stuff to you, you wouldn't have a chance of understanding any of those things that the us who have been born and experience take for granted. Only, in our, only unless we've literally been born can we see these things. It's similar to what Jesus is saying here. Now, my wife, Elizabeth, is a midwife, and she's been blessed to see hundreds and hundreds of births. And what she says with uh, births that are, are normal and the baby's healthy, they scream, they cry, they come out. But then after just a little while, the, the babies start to, to, to look around, and they open their eyes, and they kind of take in all that is before them. It's like this brand new experience. Their whole life is literally turned upside down as this new world is now available to them. They can see their eyes are open to what they couldn't see before. Now, we may have heard the gospel a thousand times. We may have heard the, the, the grace and the love of Jesus being preached to us and we've read about it for weeks. But then the penny drops. Because when we are spiritually born again, that's when we can really see who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, the giver of life, the person who loves us so dearly and immensely. And we get to see that we're in desperate need of, of Jesus. And then we know that he's extending his hand to us to have life. What's the purpose of being born again? One of them is so that we can see Jesus and the kingdom of God. So we can sense and know those spiritual realities. But then how does it happen? What makes this new birth possible? How is it that being, being born again, how is it we can have that spiritual life and those spiritual eyes to see who Jesus is? Now, the biggest hint and really the answer comes from what seems like a bit of a throwaway line of Jesus in verses 14 and 15. It's at the end of his conversation with Nicodemus and he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So before actually looking at Jesus, Jesus himself is saying, go have a look at Moses. And particularly what Moses, the story of, of what Moses did in Numbers, in Numbers chapter 21. Now the book of Numbers, uh, amongst other things like counting, is about the, the period of time between them being liberated from slavery in Egypt uh, before they enter the promised land. And in this section, in Numbers 21, the Israelites begin to grumble and get upset again at God uh, for his not providing for them, it seems. And then God sends a bunch of venomous snakes, uh, and they're killing many people. So the Israelites repent of their sin, uh, and Moses asks God to take uh, the snakes away. And then, it's, uh, then God says this to Moses. So this is chapter 21, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake. And put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. 
Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, it's a bit of a strange story. Um, Like, look at the thing that killed you so that you can live. A bit like if God in this moment said, okay, Matt, make a bronze image of the coronavirus, and then everybody look at that and you'll live. It seems a bit odd and strange, right? Um, But that's not actually what's going on here, right? Um, God is demonstrating that his judgment is severe, but his grace is greater. The God of grace is providing solution and saying to the people, you just need to look and live. It is the pure, saving hand of God. They just need to look in faith at the snake on the pole and live. Now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying that that snake, that image, what was going on there is pointing to me. Like that snake was raised up, I will be raised up. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And we know from when we look at John chapter 19 and from the other Gospels that Jesus was raised up and he hung on that wooden, rugged, blood-stained cross, raised up for all to see. He stepped off that glorious throne in heaven to live the life we couldn't and die the debt that we couldn't, die to pay for the debt we couldn't pay, the debt we owed, for the sin we have done, the works that we could not achieve. They were all achieved in him. And our response is to look and live. In the Gospel of John, though, there's also a, another extended meaning, which is that Jesus is also raised in the sense that he's glorified. Because we know that Jesus died, but on the third day he rose again. And after he rose again, he ascended into glory back to the right hand of the Father. Jesus, he was lifted on that cross, but ascended into glory. That means the Jesus that we look at, he's the crucified, but then risen, glorious Savior. Friends, Jesus is the one who has made it possible for us to be born again because of his death and exaltation. And what he's saying is to look at him and live. This captures in a different way what it means to repent and believe, kind of language we might be a bit more used to. Because when we're looking at Jesus, when we're looking at him in this kind of fashion, in ultimate belief, we're recognizing that we have sinned against God, but Jesus has, has conquered and paid that debt for us. When we're looking at Jesus in faith, we are saying we're going to live for you as Lord and follow in your way, follow in your teaching. We're saying we cannot earn our place with God. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit so we can be born again. When we look at Jesus and believe in him, that is where we find life. To take the eyes off yourself and look to Jesus. And from the first moment you become a Christian to every moment after that, keep looking to Jesus. Only in him we find life. Only in him do we find identity, do we find belonging, do we find purpose. Friends, when you don't think you're good enough, look to Jesus. When life is hard and suffering is growing, look to Jesus. When you're trying to win the approval of others and meet their expectation, look to Jesus. When you're slaving in your faith and you're trying to just do it on your own back, exerting yourself to earn God's favor, look to Jesus. When you've done all these good things but all for the wrong reasons, look to Jesus. When you don't think that you fit in this world, you don't think that anybody loves you, look to Jesus. When you've sinned for the thousandth time and you don't think you're worthy of one more set of God's grace, look to Jesus.
If anything has captured my heart this week, it's that. To just stop looking at myself and look to Jesus. And can I tell you, what sweet relief, what blessed assurance, what joy to the soul does it bring to know that it doesn't come from within, but it comes from him. He gives us certainty and purpose to keep going. Now, some of us have never looked at at Jesus in complete faith before. We may have been seeking God in some way, maybe our whole life, but we really genuinely need to look at Jesus and be born again. A story I came across uh, this week highlights this really well from a young man from the 19th century uh, in England, a man by by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, If you haven't heard of him, uh, he's a wonderful Baptist preacher, very influential in his day and, and now. And he writes this story about when he looked and lived. And I'll, I'll tell it to you. It says this, he goes on and he says, It was a Sunday and he's on his way to church and a severe snowstorm kind of blew in. He couldn't make it to his, his usual church. Uh, he's desperate to get out of the cold. He's desperate to kind of search for God as he usually did. And so he stepped into a side alley and, and found his way into a Methodist church. He hadn't been there before. He walked in, out of the cold. The minister couldn't come that week. Spurgeon supposed that he was snowed in as well. And a layman, just a minister, a person from the congregation came and started to preach. The text was in the old King James, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, from Isaiah 45. And to just use Spurgeon's words here. He said, the preacher said, This is a very simple text indeed. It just says, look. Now, look and don't take a great deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man don't need to go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. Look unto Jesus. Jesus says, look unto me. Spurgeon went on to say the preacher went on for 10 minutes or so and then kind of spotted him in the audience fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all that was in my heart, he said, young man, you look miserable. Indeed, I was shocked and weird, strange to be pointed out in the crowd. Young man, look to Jesus. Look, look, look. Look and you have nothing to do. You have nothing to do but look and live. And I saw at once the way of salvation. I know what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so pleased so possessed by that one thought. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked and could, and could have almost looked my eyes away. Being born again, it's not just a reality of the mind. It engages the heart and the soul. Look to Jesus and live. That brings us to our fifth question. Why is it a reality? Why would God do such a thing? Why would Jesus hang on that cross so that we could look and live and be born again? And we hit those famous words. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Why is it a reality? Pure and simply and only because God loves us. He loves us with this deep, sacrificial, rich, enduring love. We certainly do not deserve it. We're certainly not worthy of it. And it's not necessarily because we even loved him first because we didn't do that. It's just because God loves us. That's who he is. In his love and sending Jesus for us, it means that we can now be called children of God, as it said back in chapter 1. When we genuinely believe in Jesus, when we look and when we live, and when we do and when we continue to do that every day, it changes our identity. It gives us our sense of belonging and our purpose. Now, the Olympics has kind of touched many of our hearts in a, in a way and been a wonderful source of entertainment uh, during this lockdown uh, period. And many of you may know uh, that last night, Nic- Nicola McDermott, the Australian high jumper, she won silver uh, in, her, in her event, which was wonderful uh, for her and us. And she, was, uh, she had an interview at the end of her uh, event, and she spoke about her faith in Jesus. And the reporter was listening to her and then asked, why is it your faith is so important? And I think her statement here and what she said really highlights so well what it means to be born again. I'll read you what she said. She says, I remember encountering God's love and it changed the way I thought about myself. As a misfit, misfit, why was I created so tall and stuff? And it gave me passion and it gave me purpose to use it. In 2017 was my big moment when it flicked the switch and I decided to pursue God over sport. Whatever comes from sport is a bonus, but I'm already complete. I'm already a loved person regardless. That just allowed me to soar over every high jump and not be scared anymore because I am loved and that is the most important thing. Why can she say that? It seems as though she has been born again. She has those spiritual eyes to see who Jesus is, to know the love of God, to understand the realities of the kingdom of God, to enter and experience the love of God and have it change her. Because being born again is not just something we know. It's certainly not something we do. But it's a life that is changed by God with Jesus at the center. So friends, look and live. By the grace and the love of God, he has the ability to cause us to be born again, to take us from death into life. It's all through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. If you're born again, if you are one of those people that knows intimately who Jesus is, you've experienced the blessing of knowing him and you're glimpsing more and more what the kingdom of God is like, please keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking at him. Keep fixing your eyes on him. Placing your hope uh, in him. Don't place it in things you can achieve or what, what other people Uh, can do for you or what other people think. Just gaze upon that crucified and risen glorious Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Only in him can we find life and find it to the full, in part now and into eternity. Let me pray for us all. Father God, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you so much for your love to us. We cannot really even fully comprehend how much you love us. But thank you that we are able to be born again because of what Jesus has done and because of your act of sending your Holy Spirit. Father, please help us to look 
and to live. Please help us. Please enable us to be born again. We know it is all your work. And once we are, for every day, to continue to gaze upon the glorious Lord Jesus Christ until he returns again and we can gaze on him face to face. We need your strength to do this, God. And it is a beautiful privilege that we get to do so. We ask that you can help us do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.